0: Good morning guys, great to see you, and I hope you're all doing well. Um, I wonder um, what the first thing was that you did this morning, Um, maybe the first thing that you do every morning. Um, The answer is probably different for each one of us, but I imagine that all of us in one way or another have some kind of morning routine um, that we we like to kind of go through. It might be that you like to get up early with your alarm, and the first thing that you have to do is get a mug of coffee. And and you can't even begin to dream of starting the day without your mug of coffee, that shot of caffeine to, to get you going and enable you to face everything else. Maybe the first thing that you do is you hit the snooze button. And that's your routine, you hit the snooze button two or three times and you, you really just try and delay that moment when you have to pull back the duvet and step out into the cold air as the weather changes and you just want to stay there for as long as you possibly can. Maybe you're in a family with only one bathroom, and so you make a mad dash to be the first one in that bathroom and shut yourself in there so you can take your time in the shower, you can take your time getting yourself ready and have a bit of peace before anybody else has a chance to see you without your makeup on. <laughs> That's me, obviously, every morning. <laughs> Do you know, to be honest, it's a rare morning these days when I ever need an alarm. Um, has been that case now for about six years or so. I wonder why. And um, my, my days more often than start with either a, a crying Annabelle that results in me getting up out of bed to give her a cuddle, or a boy who decides he's going to climb on top of me. And, um, and that's usually how I, I start most days um, for recently. But whatever it is, at some point in our day, I imagine, even though I might not be doing my makeup, at some point in the day, we will all look in a mirror. As part of our morning routine, we will we will take a look in the mirror. And that first look in the mirror is not always a pleasant experience, is it? Our eyes have that bleary, dazed, I don't really want to be open look about them. Our hair can be sticking up all over the place. That's why I got it cut. For guys who are normally clean shaven, you know, you kind of got that growth of of irritating stubble which is there and needs to be dealt with. You know, mirrors can be brutally honest things. I I think the worst mirrors are those ones, and I don't know why people get them, but those mirrors where you flip them over and the other side magnifies it, (laughs) and suddenly everything is twice as big and you can see every pore and everything which is there. Why would somebody put themselves through that? You know, mirrors don't airbrush our defects like we might manage on Photoshop, and instead they they don't show us the the way that we'd like to be. They are brutally honest and show every spot, every wrinkle, every grey hair. So why do we put ourselves through the torment every morning of placing a mirror in our bedroom or in our bathroom or wherever wherever it is to see ourselves at our worst every day? And I think for most of us, I think the reason is that we'd rather face the truth of who we are on our own, by ourselves, in the morning, so that we can do something about it, so that we can make changes, than we would walk out of the door and have the rest of the world see us that way. And we've been taking some time recently to look at the book of James together. And the key, one of the key things that I think James is trying to get across to us in his letter again and again and again is something that is so important that we all need to be brought back to it, which is that when it comes to following Jesus, that faith, that belief, that knowledge without action is worthless, that there comes a point when you have to just do it. But without doing something about what we believe, there is no life change. And now it might be that there are some of you here today who wouldn't really even describe yourselves as a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you wrestle with being a follower of Jesus and what that really means and what that really looks like. Because you've looked around at the Christians who you've known over the years. And you've asked yourself, what's the point? They're just like me. Why bother? Why bother? Why bother with all this stuff about Jesus and church and faith and all that kind of stuff? Because it doesn't seem to make any difference. And this is the thing that we're going to be learning from, from James this morning. Is that James tells us that the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem isn't with the church. The problem isn't with faith. The problem is when people say they believe without putting that belief into action. And this is how James starts talking about it in James 1 verses 22 uh, to 25. They will be blessed in what they do. James starts talking about mirrors. He says, imagine that you get up one morning. And as part of your morning routine, like you do every day, you purposefully look in the mirror. And you see there's food stuck between your teeth from breakfast. Or there's makeup on your face that you haven't quite rubbed in. Or you've got this bed hair sticking out. And you see every fault and you realise that you look a mess. And then you just walk away from the mirror and you head out the door and you go off to work. Without doing anything about it. Then you sit down at your desk and a colleague comes along and they they look at you and they say, Whoa! Did you look in the mirror this morning? And you simply say, Yeah, yeah, of course I did. And the colleague kind of walks off scratching their head. They're left thinking, Well, what happened after you looked in the mirror? What happened next? Why didn't you do something about it? Because the assumption is that if you look in the mirror and you see something that needs to change, you see something that is out of place, you will take action and you will do something about it. And what James is saying is if you were reading the Bible or you were listening to people talking about the Bible, reading or listening to the Word of God, and you come across some truth that, that shines a light on something that is out of place in your life, something that is not the way that it should be, you have a sense of God's conviction and he's calling on you to make a change. And then you close the Bible or you walk out of your your growth group or you walk out of church and you do nothing about it. Nothing changes. Then what is happening is that you are exactly like the person who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what they look like immediately forgets the defects and the things that need to change and instead chooses to just remember themselves the way that they'd like to be. And I think the danger here is really for those of us who have been Christians for a while, who have heard a lot of messages, who have studied the Bible, who have been to conferences, maybe even you've read a book or two. And all of those things are good, and all of those things give God opportunity to speak into our lives. But you know what? They can also make us vulnerable. You know, as James says, we can be vulnerable to being deceived. We can start to think that because we know a lot, because so much truth is familiar to us, that somehow, because we know it and we've come across it before, and so, yeah, we smile and we nod and say, yes, I agree with that, that somehow we've changed and we're mature. Without us realising Without us even beginning to realize it, we begin to turn following into Jesus. Following Jesus into an an academic exercise instead of a lifestyle. Jesus becomes someone that we, we study rather than someone that we are becoming like. We begin to use the Bible for information instead of for transformation. And we don't even realize it. Because we've been deceived. Now, this is such an important issue to James. that he comes back to it again a little bit later in his letter. He writes in, in chapter 2 verses 14 to 19. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? In other words, what good is it if someone claims to have heard the truth, to know the truth, to have accepted the truth, to believe the truth, but does not put that belief into action? And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James never holds his punches, does he? I think what James is trying to get across to us is that if we truly have faith in something, if we truly believe and trust in something or someone, then the way that we act will demonstrate it. Real faith is faith that trusts God. So it is faith that obeys God. It is faith that leads to action. Real faith leads to a life of loving God and loving others. And this doesn't mean that if we've got real faith, then we we are going to become these perfect people who get it right every time. None of us do. None of us in this room perfectly love God and perfectly love others. But what it means is that real faith is never static, it never stands still. That faith is shown, however imperfectly, through ongoingly growing in love for God and love for others. And then James throws in this, this argument. He imagines someone might come back at him and say, Well, that's all well and good for you, James. You have your actions, you've got your good deeds, but I know Jesus personally. I know, I I trust him. I know that he loves me. I know that he died for me. And that faith that Jesus loves me will save me. It's enough. And James says, okay, that's great you have faith in Jesus. Show me your faith. If I can try and make it simple. You're all sitting down on a chair right now. And there's an aspect of faith in you sitting there, isn't there? You know that that chair has four legs that are made of metal and it's been designed in a way as to be able to hold a person's weight. You look around and you see everybody else sitting there and so you you get this idea that it works and you can trust it and so you have faith that the chair will, will hold you up and you won't end up looking very silly smack bang on your bottom. You have faith in the chair and that faith leads to action. I remember a a couple of years ago, Rosie and I went on holiday with the boys, it was before Annabelle was born, uh, to Brixham, and um, uh, when we were there, we thought we'd go along to one of the local churches on the Sunday, and, and we walked there, we got a little bit lost on the way, so we arrived a bit late, and came in while they were already singing some songs like we were earlier today. And so we slipped in at the back and went and found ourselves um, somewhere where we'd be able to sit down. We stayed standing and I was kind of holding Simon and giving him a cuddle uh, and and things at the time and uh, we were singing along with the songs. Songs came to an end. Everybody sits down. So I looked behind me, checked there was a chair there, plunked myself down confidently and then the unexpected happened. There was a crack. And we hit the floor, Simon and I there, it's flat out in front of everybody, shocked the entire church, these strangers who've just arrived, just walked in late, and then all eyes are on us. By the time I got over my embarrassment, and, um, and we kind of got up, and uh, I guess I re- didn't realise my own weight, and we had a few jokes go around the place, people were lovely, checked oh, I was okay, new chair came along, and do you know what, I sat down just as confidently on the new chair. Thankfully, everything this time went okay, no more accidents. The thing is that even though it may have turned out to have been the wrong decision, even though it may have turned out to be blind faith that was not deserved, because I had faith in those chairs, it determined the way that I acted. And here's James's argument. James is saying, hey, you're saying that, that you believe that the chair will hold you. Okay, have a seat. I'll oh, show you that I believe in the chair that will hold me because I'm going to sit down. Come on. Do you believe the chair will hold you or not? And then this kind of back and forth, you can imagine, might begin. Absolutely, I believe that the chair will hold me. Well, have a seat. Well, you know, I'm not sure I really want to sit down. You're not sure of what? You're sure that the chair's going to hold you, Yeah absolutely confident that the chair will hold me. Can we just stand and talk, though? I had some stuff back earlier in my life where I kind of sat on a chair and I went into a church and it collapsed. I said, do you think we could just stand and talk? I don't really want to sit down. Ah, so you've had some bad experiences in the past and so you're not sure if you believe the chair will, will hold you then. That's okay, look, this chair has got steel legs. It's, you're a weight of what? 11 stone, it'll be fine. The chair is strong, it is good. You can sit down, have a seat. Do you know what, look, I believe the physics of the chair are there. I believe that it is able to hold me. I believe that I can I can see the steel. I know the steel is strong. I know that the structure is sound. I can see all these other people sitting on chairs. So do you know what, I don't need to sit down because I can see the chair will hold me. I, my faith in the chair is big enough that I don't need to sit down to prove it ends up being a pretty silly conversation, doesn't it? It's pretty obvious that if the person really trusted the chair, then sitting down wouldn't be an issue. And what James is trying to say is, you might believe all the right things. You might believe all the right things about Jesus. But even the demons believe that. And they should have. Simply, the believing the right things does not lead to salvation. It does not lead to a saving relationship with Jesus. If you really trust something, if you really have faith, then that faith will be demonstrated through what you do. And that is just as much the case whether it is sitting down on the chair whether that is faith in Jesus that leads you to making changes in your priorities in your life, that leads you to a life that is ongoingly being transformed to love God and to love others. James doesn't stop there. He goes on in verses 20 to 26 and he says, You foolish person! Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James is saying, look at the men and women of the past, who we consider to be men and women of faith. We hold them up as people of faith, not simply because they believed the right thing. Because of what they did as a result of those beliefs. Now Abraham demonstrated that he had faith in God by putting that faith into action. You know The, the, the story of Abraham, just very briefly, is, is that God promised him that he would um, be the father of a great nation. But he didn't even have a son. And so the promise was given that a, a son was coming, that this son would come through a miracle. That his wife Sarah, who couldn't have children, who was barren and elderly... Would give birth not just to a child, but to a son, a firstborn son, a beloved son, a son of promise through whom Abraham would become a father of a great nation. And so they waited a long time. And then an amazing day came, and the promise was fulfilled. And the son was born, and he was loved. And as he grew to be a young man, God said to to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, your firstborn son, the son of the promise, the son who is a miracle, the son that you waited for, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And so they went, and and as Abraham was was going, he was going to sacrifice his, his son Isaac in obedience to God. And Isaac literally carried the wood on his back up the hill. Can you begin to imagine what this moment must have been like for Abraham? Or imagine what this moment must have been like for Isaac. Abraham has to bind his own son. To prepare him as a sacrifice. And then at the last moment God steps in and says don't. You see Abraham trusted God. He had faith in God. He believed God. And how do we know all of that? Because he took his son Isaac up the hill. Because he bound him. Because he was ready to be fully obedient to God. He was ready to surrender what was most precious to him. To sacrifice and to give it up because he trusted God. James says, he's a man of real faith. Someone who is willing to give to God the thing that they love the most. Willing to give to God what they treasure the most. What brings them the greatest joy? That which they have worked hardest for. That which they find their identity in. James says people who have real faith are willing to surrender everything to God. It's challenging, isn't it? And you might expect Abraham to be held up as this great man of faith. But Rahab probably isn't the person who you would have thought of next. Some of you might not even know who Rahab is. But you see, Rahab, well, you might be here this morning, I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you just feel like you have made such a mess of things and, and life is just so full of mistakes and you're just in the worst possible situation that how can this whole Jesus thing work for you? And if you feel something like this this morning, then Rahab is someone that you need to be introduced to. Because Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And no little girl grows up dreaming of being a prostitute. You become a prostitute because very wicked, evil things happen to you. Because you've been abused. Because you feel trapped and worthless. And so Rahab's life is a mess. And Rahab wasn't a Jew. She wasn't one of God's people. She was on the outside. And most people would have considered her worthless, a nobody. And yet when the people of God came to conquer the city of Jericho, Joshua sent spies into the city. And Rahab had faith that the God of these people could bring about change, could save her from her situation. And so she started to help the spies. And she hid them in her home and she helped them to escape over the wall and back to their camp. She endangered her own life by helping God's people escape. She identified with God's people. She put her hope and her faith in what it is that God had promised that he was going to do. She didn't just say, I trust the Lord, I have faith that you will be victorious. I have faith that you will conquer the city, so good luck, I hope it all goes well. She demonstrated her faith through her courage to act. She put her faith into action. She made the decision to just do it, even when it took great courage. So James is trying to make it abundantly clear to us to leave us in no doubt at all that faith without action is useless. That it's not even real faith. And he, and he does that through, starts off doing that by through using logic, by, by saying, show me your faith. And if you've got faith, you know, in a chair, then sit on it. If you've got faith in Jesus, then put that into action by following him and becoming like him. And he does it through giving us examples of the kind of people who we look to and we hold up as, as men and women of faith. That they are people who are willing to put it into action to make sacrifices and take courageous risks as they put their faith into action. What I love is he also gives us a great promise and we read it briefly earlier, we'll come back to it now. He gives us a great promise for everyone who does put their faith into action in chapter 1 verse 25 and this is what he says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, putting their faith into action, they will be blessed in what they do. And when we read the Bible or we hear someone talk about the Bible or we're in conversation and we get a sense of, of God's conviction, a sense of the changes that God is wanting us to make in our lives, God is not trying to be a killjoy. God is not trying to spoil our fun. Every time you have a sense of, of God speaking to you, even when it's uncomfortable, even when you know it's going to require change, and it, it maybe that change is going to require sacrifice, like Abraham. Maybe that change is going to require courage, like with Rahab. Every time it is God inviting you into the deepest life possible. He's not trying to steal anything from you. He is inviting you into the best that is available. He is inviting you, as James says, into freedom. And to position yourself in life in a way that means that you are able to be blessed in all that you do. Now when we experience God prompting us to do this or to stop doing that, he is essentially asking us to trust him, to put our faith into action. Trusting that as we do that, that we will step into greater freedom and blessing. And we will experience joy in life in new ways that we may have never known before. I'm sure many of you have parents have um, had similar experiences to this one. But earlier this year, we, um, we went on, uh, on holiday again and, and took the whole family. And I decided that I, one of the things I wanted to try and do was to help the boys to learn to swim. Um, Evan was fine. He was used to the water, so no problems there. But for Simon, it was a very different story. So at the beginning of the week, we headed over to the swimming pool, got Simon with his armbands on, and he had a, a, a kind of a noodle around him that was all wrapped up. He was there, ready, sorted, looked the part. Got him to the side of the swimming pool. Come on in. No. tried to convince him, swimming will be great fun, you'll love it, you'll be safe, I'll look after you, you can trust me. He was having none of it. I'd say, it's okay, just jump to me and I'll catch you. I'll hold on to you, you'll be fine. No. Eventually, I just kind of went to the side where he was stood, took my arms around him, picked him up and put him in the water and he just clung on to me for dear life. Refused to let go tried to say to him and convince him it was okay. He would enjoy it. It would be something that he'd find fun and he would have a great time. He's got armbands on. He's got the noodle around him. He will float. Nothing bad will happen and I will stay with him the whole time. Thankfully, by the end of the week, after little step, after little step, after little step, day by day, he realized that I was telling the truth. And he got to the point where he loved being in the swimming pool. And it was great fun. And the problem by the end of the week was getting him out again. (laughs) You know, when God asks us to do something or to make changes in our lives, we might feel nervous. We might feel scared like Simon did at the edge of the swimming pool. But we need to realize that that just like I was with Simon at the swimming pool, God is only asking you to jump in. He is only asking you to make changes because he knows what is best for you. Because he knows that it will lead you to the greatest blessing and the greatest joy in life. But until you reach the point where you are willing to put your faith into action, you are willing to jump, you will never be able to experience the blessing and the joy that is on offer. Now, I love the description that James gives us of the Bible where he calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. Isn't that a great description of God's word? That the purpose of God's word in our lives, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's challenging, even when we feel convicted, is to give us freedom. And that as we continue it and put it into action, God's promise is that we will be blessed in all we do. So the practical encouragement I think we can take from this is to make time, to use James's words, to look intently, into God's Word, to so look intently into the Bible. And this, this isn't just about reading it and getting through it in the kind of way that you might glance in a mirror as a cursory thing and, and head out the door. But instead, to treat it like you treat a mirror first thing in the morning when you look intently and you take time and you make sure everything's in place and everything's how you want it to be. You stop and you pause on the truth that you've come across for long enough for you to allow God to speak to you and to show you the changes that you can make and then to make the decision to trust God and to put your faith into action and just do it. I'm sure um, at some point or another most of you here have had a hand in, in building a Lego kit. Um, I love Lego. I grew up with Lego. It's my, one of my favorite things um, that I, I had to play with growing up. And it's been a joy to be able to pass on um, my Lego collection to, to the boys and to see them start to, to enjoy it and to learn how to build things. You know, But there's a process to following Lego instructions, isn't there? Anyone who's ever been there, it can be a frustrating process sometimes, but there's a process to following the instructions. You have to take your time over the instructions. You have these funny diagrams that can be a little bit obscure and these pieces which are going in all over the place and you've got to look pretty closely and intently to make sense of it, to know where to put the pieces in the right place. And then as you, you go and you're building it and you're putting the pieces on and then you're slowly building the model, you have to keep returning back to the instructions. And then when you get to that place where you you get halfway through and you realize you put a piece in the wrong place and you've got to take it all apart and you go back to the instructions to work out the right place for the piece to go. And you keep doing that again and again, making changes until eventually you get it right. And I think that gives us a bit of an idea of part of what it's like to have a real faith as we follow Jesus. It's to look intently at the word of God, to look intently at the Bible, to be serious about experiencing God speaking into our lives. Bringing about transformation in order for us to, to change, to grow, to be the person that he intended us to be. To have that finished article which we're aiming for. Positioning ourselves in the best place where we're able to know God's blessing. And it means taking God's word, taking the law that brings freedom, taking the truth in the Bible and submitting ourselves to it in order to figure out, as we look intently and work out where the pieces need to go, to figure out what is out of place, to figure out what needs to change, to figure out what needs to be taken apart and to be redone. And as you continue in this, this process through life, there will be times when you mess up and you make mistakes and you realize, oh no, that peace doesn't go there. And you go back to the instructions. You go back to look intently at the word of God again. And you study it. And you hold it up like a, a mirror in front of you that shows you not only the truth about what you were really like, but also shows you this image of what it is that you're aiming to be. And it's not only about being guilty and beating yourself up about the mistakes that you've made. It's simply about coming back to that continually and committing yourself to get the pieces in the right place. Committing yourself to make the changes, to put things in place, to become the person that God is calling you to be and to do the things that God is calling you to do. Putting your faith in him into action. And as you do that, God promises that you will be blessed that you'll be fulfilled and content and that you will know peace, even when it seems like life is all out of control and your circumstances are not the way you'd want them to be, that you will know that God is with you and that you can trust him. And you know, if we, if we reverse this around, isn't it true that, that most of your regrets that most of of, of the, the bad decisions that you've made, the bad relationships that you've gotten yourself involved in, the things that you wish you could erase in life, that most of it could have been avoided if you'd been a doer of God's word at that time and in that situation. And that's true for me. And so here's what God is saying to us now, to each and every one of us today. Will you trust me from this point on? Will you trust me? Not just believe the right things. Not just know the right things. But put your faith into action. I know it's hard to forgive. I know it's, it's hard to make changes. I know it's hard to explain those changes to your friends and your family who won't understand. I know it's hard. But will you trust me? Because if you put your faith into action, if you do the things that I'm prompting you to do, you will be blessed. And you will allow me to begin to, to work in your life at a deeper level to bring about healing and freedom. It's a great invitation from God to each one of us today. So, my, my encouragement to you is make time. To not just read the Bible. But to really allow God to speak to you through it. To read it slowly. To pray through what you're reading. To invite God to be a part of your reading and the Holy Spirit into that process. To commit yourself to being part of a growth group or a momentum group where you can be around people who will stir you up and encourage you in this process. And when you begin to experience God prompting you to do things... As a result of it, put your faith into action. And just do it. Knowing that he will only ask you to do things that will bring you greater freedom and put you in a place where you can be blessed. It might be that this morning you're already aware of things that God is prompting you to do. Changes that he's prompting you to make, that he's he's stirring in your heart and that you're wrestling with right now. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you not just to walk out of here and forget about it. So easy to do. Service comes to an end. Everybody starts chatting. You have a cup of tea. Nice time. Go home. Sunday dinner. Gone. Don't be like someone who looks in a mirror and does nothing about the mess that they see looking back. Instead, cement it in place. By sharing what God is speaking to you, what he's saying to you with someone that you trust. Coming and asking for prayer from the guys at the front who would love to pray with you.